Cole's more of a man than I am. <laughs> Danny just likes to sleep. Yeah, I Which like to sleep I, too. I like my sleep too. Here's what I do. Danny, I think I've talked to you about this before. Um, let me turn this off for King's Kaleidoscope Lasuas since they're big and all now. Shout out to King's Kaleidoscope first off for the good music. But um, anytime that I have something special going on early in the morning, I don't sleep the night before. Really? So I woke up at 1245 like, it's ready. It's time to go. I'm ready to roll. Like my mind was this vamped mor- up. This yes. morning you wake up at 1245. Yes. Vamped up. I'm ready. Um, and then I looked at my phone. It said 1245. Oh, my goodness. So I essentially had to, like, try to wind myself back down again. You went and, back to sleep? Yes, I went back to sleep. But um, especially when we first started the podcast, like, I, I would do that two or three times a night on podcast night. It's time to go. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not 30. So, I mean, I don't want to lead you astray. I like my sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Which Danny wakes up for jujitsu all the time, so... Danny's in more of a habit of waking up at this time than I am. And that's why he has the right to really say that you got to be a man in order to wake up early because he's out doing manly things. Which you did jujitsu for a while. Bro, two months. What made you stop? Um, Honestly, I couldn't get up. It's 5, it's 5 <laughs> I'm still being honest. I couldn't get up. It's 5 a.m. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, if it was in the afternoon, I probably can do it, but... 5 a.m. is is rough. So, you know, I wasn't going to pretend that I could do that consistently. So I just stopped. Take somebody that can wake up early. Dude, if you could wake – if you, Delano, with your structure, could wake up and stick with jujitsu, you'd be a scary individual. <laughs> <laughs> because you're tall and you have a reach. What is your reach? Uh – I don't know, but I got long arms, so I'm sure. Arms. Got long legs too. Long arms, long legs, so I don't know. You know who would be a monster at jujitsu? Matt Morgart. He he yeah, also he's tall would be. too. Yes, yeah. in fact, he's taller than me. Yeah, yeah so. he's tall. And you know, um, not just jujitsu. We're going all the way. MMA, scary creatures. Um, so they did a talk on John Jones, and they really analyzed his physique and his just natural God-given structure, like 6'4", which you're 6'2", at least. I'm 6'3". 6'3". So you're really, like, built like John Jones in a lot of ways. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but they say the way that he can cover the, the octagon, octagon and really just ma- maintain and cover distance and stuff – and how he's built for wrestling and all that kind of stuff, he he's just born for it. Mm-hmm. So man, if like if you're six three, no, you you being six three jujitsu, all that kind of stuff. There's there's no telling. I want to get back into it. It's nice. It's a workout though. After now, now, now that it's getting cooler, I can have that thing out at my house with the mats. There's several guys from the church who want to. Give it a shot. Are you wanting to do it outside? Yeah. Yeah, I can't have eight guys in my living room. <laughs> At 6 a.m. <laughs> Wrestling around. No. No. I've been saying for a few weeks we should have a tournament. Yeah. 
Cool. Cole, Cole's already ready for a tournament, and he knows, like, three moves. <laughs> hey, but those three moves that you showed me, because don't, don't forget, we went over those three moves for, like, an hour and a half straight after we wrestled for an hour. <laughs> we, were, we were really doing it for, like, two and a half hours. And I feel like just those three moves can separate somebody from the average Joe. Because if you don't know anything versus you do know some ways to make your opponent get where you want them to go and you mm-hmm. get where you want to go, it really could separate you. Like how you got – that, That's why you want to have a tournament because <laughs> you spent two hours with me learning three moves and none of the other guys have. Hey, <laughs> I'm I'm not knocking the expertise of you, so you should – this is more of a compliment to your teaching. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's so fun. Either way, it's so fun. It it's physically demanding. There's a science to it. Like now I have a greater appreciation for guys like Charles Oliveira, who is an absolute snake. He's man, he's like an octopus in thirty feet of water. Just the way that he moves around people is so scary. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I was training for that guy, like even if you're a good boxer or something, a uh, good kickboxer, and you're training for all of, somebody like Charles Oliveira, you can tell yourself, I know that if I make one one inch of a mistake, it's over with. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's how it is. Because he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. It's about technique. My first couple times doing it, it was, for me, pure body strength. And I would get winded after about five minutes and just give up. Like just... I'm I'm going to tap out. It wasn't even like I was like stuck. I didn't know what to do. I was just tired, and I would just tap out. And so it's it's technique. You actually have to know what you're doing, you know. So yeah, it's uh it's an art to it. Yeah, it is an art to it. Well, welcome, Delano. Welcome to the Classic Cast. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Delano roll. We can officially, literally say we just roll with it here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, just to be clear, Delano roll, roll is spelled R O L L E. Not to be funny, for the longest time I thought it was actually role. A lot of people do. Yeah. Role. Because it has that E at the very end there. Man, so we have all three of us have known each other about the same time because we know each other from the same place. We met at church. You started coming back in 2019, summertime of 2019, right? Yeah, I think around June, July, yeah. Yeah, so that was only about six months after I started. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after that, in fact, you started seminary in 2019, correct? No, no, no. no I would have started. Masters. Yeah, so I would have started. Um, because the seminary opened when August 2019, and I think I started the following January, I believe. So I started in the in the spring. That's right. Yeah, because you were graduating with your MBA, right? Yeah, yeah. So and yeah. I graduated December 2019. Yeah. yeah. So you're a you're a schoolman for sure. You've been in school for a long time, working on your second master's degree. You have your undergrad in business. Yeah. You have a master's degree in business, mm-hmm. working at a uh, high-end job in Little Rock. <laughs> high-end job. <laughs> Selling stuff. Like extra fancy. <laughs> well, you're a businessman, literally. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, to be quite honest with you, I, I don't think the Masters really added anything to what I got going on. You know, it was something unique that I did 
really, I'll be honest, just to help me stay in the country. Right. Um, as an international right. student. And so my master's gave me like an extra year to think what, you know, what do I want to do? How am I going to stay here legally? That's what it was. Mm. You know, I don't, I didn't just want to get a degree just to get a degree. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of. I got you. So you're from the Bahamas. What, where exactly again from the Bahamas are you? Nassau. 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 The, the island really is called New Providence. The city is called Nassau. That's the capital. So small little island. I mean, I think 20-something miles. It's like a little dot on the map. You can't even see it. Mm-hmm. So um, really, really small, small island. That's like a um, uh, like cruise ships co- port at Nassau, don't they? Like a yeah, tur- yeah. tourist tourist yeah. industry there? Yeah, most most cruise ships are going to stop in, in Nassau. So I grew up seeing big, huge cruise ships stocked, mm-hmm. and tourists would come in and no, um, You'd rip them off. They get back on the. <laughs> they get back on the know, boat. They would, they would shop downtown and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah the Bahamas is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, we're not wanting to go into it at length here, but you grew or you found yourself in uh, as a Black Hebrew Israelite. That's what the Lord converted you out of. Black that's Hebrew Israelite. It's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, it's. Yeah. So Insane. when you you came from the Bahamas, what so trace that kind of coming to the States and how you landed into the black Hebrew Israelite movement. What kind of was the timeline of that and what was the cause and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So I um really it happened in high school in the Bahamas. And so I, you know, I grew up with a, a single mom. Um, my dad was, I still love and admire my dad still in my life, but I spent the majority of my time with my mom. And so as a young man, teenage years, I had questions, identity issues, you know, kind of like what's my purpose in life? What's my mission? And, um, you know, maybe my dad would have been able to answer those questions. I never, I never went to him about it. No, um, my mom wasn't equipped to answer it. And so I kind of just wanted to figure out that stuff for myself. And so I think it was my senior year. So I was I was 17, so I was in 12th grade, I think. I had a friend and his entire family, they were black Hebrew Israelites. And so, you know, I guess I had at that point in time, I had two options to kind of get my, my questions answered. Either, you know, with most young men do in that predicament, they can either join a gang or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which really wasn't even, you know, realistic for me I was a quiet kid I was introverted I was real skinny kind of nerdy you know shy you know I had a I had a strict mom my dad was in my life I felt you know loved so you know joining a gang just wouldn't be the kind of thing for me I, I wouldn't fit in and I, you know I wanted something more robust more kind of intellectual you know um, I really wanted answers to my questions I didn't just want to just have a group of friends Mm-hmm. And so I had a friend, his entire family, they were Hebrew Israelites, and we had known each other for years since we were like maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I think his family, they became black Hebrew Israelites. How that happened with them, I, I don't know. To this day, I, I, I never found out. But he kind of, you know, he would he would have like really deep philosophical answers to some of the questions that I had about life and, you know, spiritual things. And in the Bahamas, it's very interesting because they – it's 
you know, common for them to say this is a Christian nation. You know, so how in America it's it's very secular, um, and they're trying to kind of move away from some of that explicit right. Christianity right. and influence and that kind of stuff. In the Bahamas, it's the opposite, and so it's expected for politicians to be Christian. Right. You know, now right. whether they're born again or not, that's a different question. But in terms of how they speak, we expect you to be Christian. And so um, I had that, you know, nominal Christian influence my entire life, um, but it was very superficial, um, very shallow, never really, you know, any depth to it, you know, didn't have any real guidance or discipleship. And so, yeah, this friend came along. He's a black Hebrew Israelite, and he had he had all the right-sounding answers, but, of course, it wasn't wasn't – true or biblical at all and yeah yeah you know at that time you know there was there's sort of like this fascination amongst you know i'll be honest amongst black people even in the bahamas this fascination with um and to a certain extent is it's expected but this um this this fascination with the history of slavery Mm -hmm. and oppression and segregation Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff and so um, in my culture, those kinds of questions were thrown at me, and I didn't know how to answer them. You know, why did God allow slavery? Right, right. Um, you know, um, why why are you know black people? Why is there such a disparity in terms of their standard of living and that kind of stuff? Well, I, I didn't have anyone to to guide me on that and, and actually say something to me that was you know true and kind of helped me to think through those things. And so the black Hebrew lights came came in and, and kind of answered those questions for me. And they gave me a purpose. They gave me sort of like a, a mission as a young man. They gave me an outlet for some of that masculine energy that I had. And, um, you know, I guess I can go into really how that happened. That's another kind of long story. Oh, yeah. But anyway, to make a long story short, um, they just they just gave me a purpose, really. They, they gave me a, an identity. A mission, a mission, yeah. you know, yeah. telling me that I was I was a black god, I was chosen, I was, you know, the reason why I'm feeling, you know, I'm experiencing all these difficulties is because I am chosen, and God is punishing me because, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, keeping the law, and so the mission for them was to keep the Mosaic law to the best of your ability, um, and man, as, as a young man, that almost gets you pumped up because mm-hmm. you feel special, mm-hmm. um. You have these strong men that are in your life, kind of giving you a purpose, a direction, and so that's that's kind of how I got into it. I was in there for five years, and um, it was a crazy experience. Hmm. So, what what did it look like you coming out of that? So, first off, I want to say this. Um, so interesting, and this is we're here talking about Pilgrim's Progress this morning, chapter two. If we get to it, or what? parts we get to it but the 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 thing about Bunyan is he captures so well the the progress in the journey of the Christian leaving the city of destruction so your city so you're dwelling in the city of destruction and you're coming across questions that you have that would essentially direct you out of the city of destruction mm-hmm. and you need those answered Delano came across, you came across the worldly wise man. We mm-hmm. just we just talked last week about the worldly wise man who sends the people up Sinai. Mm-hmm. You must keep the law, literally. Yeah. 
Literally, you came across. Yes, you came across worldly wise man who sent you up Mount Sinai. Yep. Who was evangelist that directed you back to the wicked gate? Yeah, you know, I had um, I had a few people who could probably fit that, you know, um, kind of like that that person in, in Pilgrim's Progress. Um, for me, it was, uh, and I'm still good friends with him to this day, but the first person to really share the gospel with me, um, well, first of all, I saw a video from James White. That's kind of how everything started moving. James White debated a Hebrew Israelite, and his name was Rakah. Um, and Rakah was, he was a moderate Hebrew Israelite. So to put that, to give you kind of like another analogy, you know, Rakah to you know, to me at the time was almost like how a liberal would be to us as Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was like a liberal Hebrew Israelite. And so I didn't take him seriously. And so when he debated James White, I mean, James White just embarrassed this guy. I mean, it was terrible. But um, for me, you know, it was kind of like, man, this is, I know he's a liberal and I know, you know, maybe I could do better than what he could do, you know, but something about it was still really uncomfortable for me because I saw the way that James White handled him and the depth of the responses that James White had to some of the things that he was saying, and it made me very uncomfortable. You know, and looking back at it, I can see that even at that time, the Holy Spirit was already working on me. Mm-hmm. And um, so there were a few Christians in particular. There was there was one guy, his name is Mike, a good buddy of mine to this day, that um, he was a Christian apologist. He was one of the only people that were actually spending time, you know, um, trying to minister to Hebrew Israelites. And um, Shayla, my wife, um, really started up a conversation with him. Really, it started as a debate. She was arguing with him at first. <laughs> and uh, it was on YouTube. That's not, uh, su- that's not surprising at all. Yeah. <laughs> she, was, she was arguing with them. <laughs> and um, so she, um, I think it got kind of heated. And she challenged him. She was like, well, you know, um, I don't know if she called me her boyfriend at the time because you know, having a boyfriend wasn't, it wasn't allowed. So I don't, I can't remember what she called me. But she was like, you know, they called me Kemuel back then. They did not call me by my first name, Delano. And the reason why was because when you were um, awakened to your true identity, it was common for you to choose a Hebrew name. Mm. So my middle name, Kemuel, which is actually my middle name, is it's Hebrew. So it's very interesting. That just made me feel even more important. I mean, right. imagine you that. get a new name. I literally like, oh, I'm born with this Hebrew name. Yeah. I'm actually a Hebrew. Oh, my goodness, man. I'm just, I'm chosen. I felt so special. And so they all called me Kemuel. Um, or if you were really close to me, you would call me Kem. And uh, my wife actually still sometimes when she gets mad at me, she calls me Kim. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That, that middle name yeah, comes she out. Yeah, the middle name, you know. <laughs> but um, so uh, she was like, you know, she was arguing with Mike and she was like, you know, well, you need to talk to, to Kemuel. You know, he can really like, you know, he could put you in your place, you know. And so we ended up setting up this debate with Mike and a couple of my other friends. And um, so Mike brought some of his boys, and I brought some of my guys, and we all had this big powwow, this big debate. And was um, on, on, in person or on like? Uh, no, no, on, no. This was I've never met Mike in person. This oh, so is all, all online. All online. online. Okay. Every, all everything that's happening is all online. Mike, I think he he lives in Florida. I was still in the Bahamas at 
That, mm-hmm. No, no, no. I was in college, so I was in Arkansas, but I was back and forth because I would go home for the summers. And uh, Shayla's still in New York. All my friends are in Oklahoma. I mean, we're just all scattered all over the place, but yeah. we're meeting online. Yeah. And I think this was over. This was Uvu. I don't know if you guys remember Uvu. But Uvu was like a platform. It was almost. It almost was like Skype. But anyway, we were on Uvu. And um, so we're we're debating it. Sounds at, like MySpace stuff right there. It was yeah, it's way back like 2017, 16 around the time. And um, long time ago, <laughs> In, on the internet, that's a long time. Ago. I know. Yeah, yeah it's, I don't even know if that's still around. I mean, I might just be, I don't know, just shut down. But so Mike, Mike shared the gospel with me. He's debating me. He's kind of, you know. Um, Showing me how what I believed in was just not true, not biblical. And um, he was kind of like the first evangelist in my life amongst others that, that kind of um, oh, helped me out to, to mm-hmm. see a few things. But he would have been the main person that, that shared the gospel with me. But it's interesting is that I never, even though he shared the gospel with me, I never, I didn't believe him. I didn't like it. I rejected it so many times. And so... And so really it was watching James White and reading on my own and just hearing him share the gospel over and over again on, um, what's his, what's the show called? The dividing line. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's kind of, that's how I came to faith. Mm. But, um, Mike has, has been a huge, huge help in my life, man. And, um, I'm so thankful to the Lord for, um, how much he's helped me and helped Shayla as well. Still able to talk to him? Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to him. I mean, we don't talk as much as we used to, because for a brief moment after I I left the the cult, um, I was a part of an apologetics group called Soldiers of God, and um, looking back at it, I was apologetic was these hands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's funny, but I mean, you yeah. kind of, I mean, that was in the Black Hebrews that Soldiers of God were Black Hebrews. No, no, they no, were. No, so this, this, I was. This is me you. as a Christian. I yeah. got you. Okay. Um, and so I was, I, I turned back and I was debating Hebrew Israelites I yeah, got you. Yeah. as an apologist. So you, you actually probably can still find debates or videos with me still on YouTube where I'm debating. I'm talking like formal debates, like two hours long, like, you know, like find it. here's your, here's your rebuttal and you know, that kind of thing. Like, I think it's at least one on YouTube with me, but there's a couple dozen videos with me, but they're long. They're like three, four, some of them, those videos are like five hours. So. But, um, you know, um, yeah, I, I spoke to Mike just a couple of weeks ago, and um, he's still doing his thing. Mm. So um, I'm so thankful for how the Lord used him in my life. Man, that's cool. Yeah, it is. Awesome story. I know that there's a lot of other details that goes into that. Mm. We won't ask you necessarily to share them recorded and stuff. But um, so good to see. I remember us talking about it the first time. Um just all the things you experienced and everything like that. Question I do have is, so would you say that that's a pretty um, popular cult now still? Um, do you think it's ascending in number, descending in number, or have you paid attention at all or what um, the demographic of it is? I think it's grown for sure, um, especially now because, you know, it's, it's interesting because right now wokeness is really popular in our yeah. culture. Yeah, you know, being woke. Even as a Christian, they're talking about being woke. So when I became a Hebrew, like no one called it being woke. They called it being conscious. 
And so there literally was a conscious community, and that community was made up of lots of black nationalistic cults and groups and, you know, all the pseudoscience stuff. So you had uh, black Moors, you had, we would call them Egyptologists, but they weren't really Egyptologists, but it, it was, you know, groups of black people who thought they were ancient Egyptians, and, you know, you had Hebrew Israelites, you had the black intellectuals, maybe they could have been atheists or whatever, but it, it was called the conscious community. And they don't really call it that anymore. Now we're we're talking about wokeness now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so the Hebrew Israelites, they fit perfectly in that mold. And so, um, you know, you might have like critical race theory and, and intersectionality and, and all these things that it's expressing some sort of grievance against white people and oppression and all this kind of stuff. Well, Hebrew Israelites loved that. Um, you it's know, like fuel. It's like fuel for them. You know, it, it's man. No one is a, is a better prospect for Hebrew Israelite than a disgruntled, you know, Christian or Black evangelical mm. that does not like white people, or they feel like they're oppressed, or they feel like people, white people in their church, they're kind of racist, kind of you know, prejudiced. That's a perfect prospect for a, a Black Hebrew Israelite. And so I think it's growing. I mean, I see it all over Arkansas, especially in Pine Bluff, a, a predominantly black community. Mm-hmm. It's in Little Rock. It's in the Bahamas. I mean, all over the Bahamas. I mean, multiple groups. Uh, it's in Europe. It's in Africa. These guys, they're very mission-minded. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, yeah. they street preach here in Conway. Yeah. Really? They street yeah, preach. I've seen um, – there's been a few times – uh, I'm not talking about all the time, but there's at least a couple times a year I see them street preaching here. And if I'm driving, I can do it. I'll take a quick picture or video and send it to Delano. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 mission minded. They're they they try to go out and proselytize, you know, new converts. And so I think it's it's growing. Um, it's way more. You know, and it's not like I'm so old. Like I've seen the progression of the stuff over 20, 30 years, but. I mean, just now it's so common for me to run across a Hebrew Israelite just in my everyday life, mm. you know. And so um, I think with our culture now and with the way things are, are progressing with, with wokeness, I think it's a perfect recipe for Hebrew Israelites to come in and take advantage of that. So it's it's definitely growing. Mm. Sounds like it. they have a pretty good um, Internet presence, too, with you having a network over, yeah. you know, Oklahoma and all the different places. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the most effective ways to evangelize and to build a network and to reach people. Yeah. Nowadays especially. I mean, we have good guys on our end who are doing a good job at it, um, using the internet, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I'm looking on YouTube, I was trying to find your debates and the guy do y'all remember the guy that said, uh, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your husband. <laughs> yeah. Is everybody getting raped out here? Yeah. He apparently um here, his name is Antoine Dodson, and it's a video called Antoine Dodson. I used to run with black Hebrew Israelite gangs. Mm, so, I, I mean, fun fact there for you. So, <laughs> does the I, I remember when I started talking about it though with you, and you started bringing stuff up. I started looking up um, YouTube videos and stuff, and of course, CNN and people like that having media coverage of it that kind of yeah. showed that they could be violent. At times, it can be. It can be. It's it's not it's not typical, you know. Um, you know because it's they they try to make sure that they're disciplined and militant, 
but amongst Hebrew Israelites, you have different different sects, and so some are more radical than others, and so you have some Hebrew Israelites that are you know basically degen- you know degenerates, and so some of them believe in you know they can go as far as being you know pedophiles. Um, oh there's a Hebrew Israelite group in you know GMS Great Millstone. I don't I don't know if they're around anymore, but they would literally teach that it, it, it was perfectly fine, at least in the kingdom of heaven, as they would say, not now for you to have a a wife that was as young as, you know, 12, you know, yeah, 13 like years wives. old. As soon as she started her period, that, that was that was fair game. Mm. And so um, and they would literally teach her. They would teach her it's okay to rape. It's, it's you know, um, so some of them were, were vile. Now, the group that I was a part of was not like that at all, but it was still pretty radical. Um, so, you know, some can get pretty violent. But for the most part, if you're talking to them on the streets, it's probably not going to get physical. But, um, you know, if, if you're a white guy and you're getting a little bit too aggressive, then it, it might, it might you know, something might pop off. But um, So a post mill versus a... <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of some post mill guys like... Bring it on! Yeah, I mean the most. The most that would happen is that they'll probably curse you out. You know that that was that's pretty common. They'll curse you out or they'll shout you down. Or no, we're used to that. <laughs> yeah, that nothing new to us. Yeah. So, but they they're probably not going to put hands on you that quick. You know, it takes a lot for them to go there. Man, well, I appreciate you sharing all that. If anybody's interested, who's who happens to be listening to this, you can check out uh, that YouTube video that Delano talked about um, with James White. I watched it myself. I think it's two, two and a half hours maybe. Um, very good stuff there. There's also another guy that had an interview with the Babylon B whose name, is, he's got a nickname. He's also a rapper. Um, something like Hotep. It's not Hotep. Um, I can't remember it. Yeah. Uh well, he, he was a Hebrew Israelite? No, no. He is an <clears throat> apologist against black Hebrew Israelites. It's not Hotep. It's some nickname okay. that you can check out. I, I can't remember it. Now, Vocab Malone is probably... Vocab. He's the most... That's it. Vocab. He's the most well-known Christian apologist right now, Vocab Malone, who I actually... Uh, you know, I used to do a couple of videos with Vocab. Vocab is... He actually helped my wife to, um, you know, go to school down here. So... Vocab Malone, Faithful to God, is that's Mike's kind of YouTube name. Um, so he has a good YouTube channel. So I recommend anyone that's interested in in how to kind of debunk some of the lies that Hebrew Israelites are spouting off with, with you know, using the Bible, check out Vocab Malone's page <clears throat> and Faithful to God. Mm. Um, they have really, really good resources. The problem is, and I'll say this real quick before we, we switch topics, the problem is Hebrew Israelites, they don't, they don't have written material. Yeah, it's not monolithic. Yeah, they don't. It's just all a bunch of guys. Everyone has their own brand of being a black Hebrew Israelite. And so all this stuff is on YouTube. So you kind of have to collect all this information, put it together systematically, and, and try to refute it. And so, you know, the only people that really are putting in the work to do that stuff that I know of, I'm sure it's more people, but primarily Vocab Malone and Faithful to God. Mm. Yeah. Check it out. Switching up to chapter two. Chapter 2 of Pilgrim's Progress, what we got, boys? Yeah, Chapter 2 is um, great. I'm glad we covered um, some of Delano's story because, like you said earlier, it matches so well with um, um, 
matches so well with uh, Mr. Legality um, in the town in the town uh, morality and worldly wise man and all that sort of stuff. So good recap there. Um, chapter two, we're going into okay at the end at the end of the last week's podcast. Evangelist puts Christian back on his way, and he gets more. He gets more of the gospel. Um, so you've read Pilgrim's Progress, Stolano? Yeah. Did you read it just recently in preparation for? The I, I had to. I had to. Yeah. yeah. I had to review just a little bit. Yeah. 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 So now we're getting into. Um, I probably say this every week. I'd have to go back and listen, but we're getting into one of my favorite sections. <laughs> <laughs> so um Christian's back on his way toward the wicked gate. Um and there he's supposed to basically just get there, knock on the gate. Um so that's we'll see how far we get. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how far we get. I mean, I'm we're we're about to get to the gate. We'll see. Um and then um uh, we'll see what happens there and then he sent on his way. So, before we read this section, um, this is inspired by the um, uh, the narrow and uh, the narrow gate and the um, uh, the narrow gate and the wide gate and the narrow way and the wide way uh, that's taught of in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's two ways of life. Um, this is Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So this is you know, clearly the inspiration for uh, this analogy in Pilgrim's Progress. Um, so evangelists is sending, even originally in the city of destruction, evangelists is saying, hey, you need to go to the, the narrow gate. Um, that's what um, is in Old English, wicked. Um, so you need to go to the narrow gate. It's, th- it's this way. It's through this gate that uh, salvation is to be found, that, that relief from your burden of sin um, is to be achieved. Uh, that that's the way and the only way to the celestial city. Um, and so this is where uh, this is the narrow this, to the narrow gate is where uh, Christian is put back on that path back to um, the narrow gate. Um, and so what do we have here? Did you find a good quote yet to get us started? Yeah, man, a bunch of good quotes. So you're you're kind of giving a good summary there of what's going on. He, he gets off of the mountain. He's directed by evangelists to go to this gate. He r- arrives at the gate at the very page of this, very first page of this chapter. And, um, you know, Bunyan doing his thing, tying in the scripture with the story. He comes up to the gate. He finds it. Uh, so in the process of time, it says, Christian got up to the gate. Now over to the gate there was written, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So he knocks there. He finds a man by the name of Goodwill. Uh, Goodwill asks him where he came from, why he left, why nobody is with him. And man, there, there's a lot of quotes in this book. In fact, some of the main quotes that I have, that I 
took in my notes was not so much summaries, but like just things that will punch you in the mouth yep. with reality. And one of those was this. Goodwill asked him, an open door is set before thee, and no man can shut it. Now, there's a scripture illustration that they missed because that's Colossians and Revelation. Uh, Christian responds, now I begin to reap the benefit of my hazard, have hazards. And Goodwill says, but how is it that you came alone? Because none of my neighbors saw their danger as I saw mine. Goodwill says, did any of them know of your coming? Christian responded, yes, my wife and children saw me at the first and called after me to turn again. Also, now, now let me stop there. The fact that his wife and children saw where he was living, his family saw that he was leaving, saw where he was going, and told him to come back. And he did not stay with his family, but instead he chose his flight ultimately what we know as just to be clear the cross his flight to christ and he leaves his family how how hard that must be you know out, out of all the mocking out of all the ridicule uh we we as men can take the ridicule from the world but when it comes from our family it's just it's, it's so much harder it burns more but he leaves his family to go where he's going but and then goodwill um, and he says this, here's how he responded. Also, some of my neighbors stood crying and calling after me to return. But I put my fingers in my ears and so came on my way. Mm. And that's probably relatable to us in ways how maybe it's not our immediate family, but family or friends that are so special to us that we've had to leave to come to Christ. And I think of those quotes that are, Lord has said about family, you know, if you do not hate father or mother more than me, um, things like that, what all we've had to leave to get to the gate, to mm-hmm. knock for it to be open to us. Yeah, it's the, um, yeah, it's what um, many have called um I'm thinking of the Bonhoeffer book, The Cost of Discipleship. Um, you know, in one hand, in one hand, salvation is free. It doesn't cost anything. But on the other hand, um, uh, you have to give up, you have to give up, um, uh, you have to give up a lot. You have to give up the old man, your old self. Um, in the Gospels, it said uh, that you must hate your father and mother um, to follow after Christ. And of course, it's not meaning you must um, actually hate them, be against them. At the same time, the at the same time, the law of God says honor your father and mother. But this is what it's talking about. There is, um. Okay, are you willing to follow Christ even though it may, even though your wife may not come with you, um, even though your your children may not follow you? Are you willing to follow Christ? That's that's really what's happening here. Yeah, that quote, <clears throat> that passage is from Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother 
and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I think that Bunyan gives a good explanation of that verse without even using words. He just gives the the picture. The yeah. picture. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not willing to leave them leave your profession, your city, everything you knew in the city of destruction, even your family, hey, they're not you know, they're not listening. They don't you know, they don't need a they're not coming after you. They're not following you. Um he had to leave all of that. He had to leave everything behind. Shut his ears while he's running out of the city, like actually running. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a picture. Yeah. What a picture. Yeah, and I, I think, too, you know, it's it's the nature of regeneration for it to be, you know, it's it's it, the Holy Spirit is working on the individual. Yeah. It's not based on your family lineage that the Holy Spirit is going to be working through. Now, that might be a help. You might have, you know, more exposure to Christianity because of your family. But ultimately, you're not going to see the kingdom of God because of your family. Um, But it's only through, you know, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so you can't take your family with you. You know, um, they have to be born again just like you. And if they're not born again, you're going to have to leave them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, and he's, Bunyan does a good job of kind of giving commentary later on about things that happened earlier in the story. He did a good job explaining Sinai in chapter one, but he explains Mount Sinai again in chapter two, right here with what we're talking about. So he has this dialogue about goodwill and just gives it uh, many different important Christian doctrines and principles here. Good. I don't know if we said it. Goodwill is the man at the wicked gate. Yes, who opened he, the gate. He opened the gate. He's talking, to, he's talking to Bunyan. Yes. Now, Bunyan's not through the gate yet. This is a dialogue happening. Um, yeah, this is the dialogue happening. Well, maybe when you're about to quote, he's through the gate. Right, yeah. Yeah, at this point, the gate has been opened. Um, because he's talking with him and everything, figuring out where he was. He's like, oh, okay, you know, good answers. Come on in. And he's about to give him the directions, which the cool thing about the the book that Danny and I have, if you if you can't read, if you just like looking at pictures, you can still get the story. <laughs> can't read <laughs> because we see a we see a picture of this long haired guy um, pointing to Christian the way that he should go. But before he does that, they're talking, and and Bunyan gives more commentary on Mount Sinai. On and we've already discussed how prevalent, how real Sinai is to us. Uh, Goodwill says this: "Oh, did he light upon you?" Talking about worldly wise man and where he sent him down the path of Sinai. Did he light upon you? What? He would have had you seek for ease at the hands of Mr. Legality. They are both of them a very cheat. But did you take his counsel? Christian responded, yes, as far as I did. I went to find out Mr. Legality until I thought the mountain that stands by his house would have fallen upon my head. Wherefore, there I was forced to stop. And then Goodwill says this, that mountain has been the death of many and will be the death 
of many more. It is well that you escaped being by it dashed in pieces. If you want to follow morality, if you want to follow the way of the law, you can do that. You can choose to do that, but just know that that mountain will fall on you and dash you into pieces. We see that all through the book of Galatians. In fact, that's much of the gospels. That's much of the epistles is that there is, that's a totally different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And it will lead you to destruction. Mm -hmm. I just heard um, just the other day, this is how popular this is. Sinai may not look like uh, the Mosaic law for everyone. There are, Groups such as the Black Hebrew Israelite movement that will tell you specifically and clearly the Mosaic law, but there are many people who have who know the natural law, who know the the Ten Commandments naturally, and will sum it up as just being a good person. Who will tell you you must be a good person? I was watching the other day on Saturday um, on the SEC Network a football program about the SEC um, called Saturday. Saturdays down south, Saturday in the south or something, and and they were doing a documentary on the Alabama football team, which I know you guys aren't too big into football, but the Alabama football team is a dynasty. I'm aware. There's I'm aware. there's no stopping. Which I'm I'm getting Delano into football. He's right. Yeah. There's some stories that I can show to support that that he is getting into it. But Nick Saban, who is the greatest coach of all time, still coaching the Alabama football team. He said this, look, when you come to your creator, your creator is not going to ask you how good your football team is. And the drum roll comes in at this point. I'm like, oh, man, he's about to drop the gospel bomb. Yes, come on. He says, your creator is not going to ask you how good your football team is. Your creator is going to ask you if you were a good person. The sound of glass breaking. (laughs) Swing and a miss, (laughs) Saban. Swing and a miss. In front of thousands of people. And all that to show how many people have taken the advice of worldly wise men. And if you look at Nick Saban's life, it had to do with his father. Who is his worldly wise man? His father. Go through Sinai in order to get to the celestial city. Saban has taken Sinai. And he hasn't done a good job on his journey all you have to do is watch a football game to see how he responds when his team doesn't stop the other team from getting a first down (laughs) even though they're up by 40 he's taking the he's taking the wise gate and many more have taken the wise gate and will be dashed into pieces by it was his dad like a preacher or something no his dad was his dad was like him just very you're you're gonna so he talked about being inspired from his dad. Yes, his dad was a coal miner, yeah. hard worker, attention to detail. Yeah, disciplined. Yeah. Disciplined. If you get a fraction of the... I bet he got up early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got up early, but he wouldn't get up early to do podcasts. In fact, he would look down on us as less of men for doing yeah. this. Um, And that that that's really my point, is that Sinai may look look slightly different, may look kind of watered down for certain people, but everybody's going to tell you that you must go the path of Sinai in order to get to the celestial city. Yeah, I think it's the natural, the natural man's inclination. Right. Um, you know, by my own morality, by my own power, and that's why you have, you know, your, um, your 
moral person looking down at the heathen, looking down at um, those who are, um, you know, living a life of immorality. And that that's the contrast as well. Kind of like, um, you know, well, I'm not a sinner like that. And so, yeah, you know, I must be doing okay. I must be, uh, I must be a good person. Yeah. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, because Christian is trying to get this burden off his back. You yeah. Know, he's he's trying to trying to ease his burden, and he's, you know, it's symbolic of, of you know, the Holy Spirit is convicting him, and he, he's feeling this burden of sin on his back. And then you have, you know, the worldly wise man. Um, you see this all the time today, who is telling him, well, hey, you can ease his burden by being a good person. Right. By being a, a right. civil person a legalist and very often like what you're talking about cole is people think that only looks like someone literally telling you hey you have to keep the law in order in order to be saved right and that's a form of it but it doesn't have to look that way and so you can see that very often in in churches where you know you you can have people thinking that you're not a real christian until you you know do this social act or you're involved in this ministry or which is all good and fine, but it's not pointing that person to Christ mm-hmm. to ease that burden, mm-hmm. um, to, to handle that, that burden that their that person is feeling because of their sin, but it's pointing to some action that the person has to do. And that's, that's legalism. And the person that's really feeling that conviction, that's, that's truly feeling the burden of sin. They know that there is nothing outside of Christ that's going to, take this burden off of their back because the, the demands of the law is for perfection. Yeah. So I can't, I can't do enough to make me feel, you know, eased of this burden. Um, in fact, I'm going to feel more burden yeah. when yeah. I truly understand what this law is demanding, you know, that's why he felt like the mountain was about to fall, on, fall him. on him. Yeah. It's like this image of, um, like you're hiking up this mountain or you're, you're traveling this hill, but, the further you go, uh, not, the mountain's not just getting taller. Like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. never be able to get to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it starts uh, bending over you, and there's cliffs. Now all of a sudden you find yourself under these cliffs, under these rocks yeah, yeah. that are, that are you know, falling. It's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another scripture reference that they missed, I believe, because... It says this in Revelation chapter 6. Then the king, this is after the wrath of the lamb who came. After the, the, the sixth seal was opened. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us mm. and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. If we want to keep the law for our righteousness, that's going to be our end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're never going to make it to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And it's not even that um, that Greek folktale where the guy pushes the rock up the mountain, the, the rock just falls back down for eternity. Right. When we get closer to the top of the mountain, we're going to see that the entire mountain crushes us. Yeah. Yeah. Or we're going to, we would rather that happen to us than face the wrath of the Lamb. Mm. Delano, I remember the first sermon that you preached. I'm going to remember this because I'm a good friend. Hebrews chapter 4. First sermon that you preached at Grace. Mm. I think that probably was the second. 
Sec, the first one from Isaiah chapter Isaiah. 40. Yeah. Or 40, I believe. I'm forgetting. Some, no, it might have been 30 something. I don't know. Maybe you're right. No, no, no. I remember Hebrews 4 is your second. Yeah. Yeah. And you preached that and how legalism can even subtly creep in to the church. Oh, yeah. How there will be people who have already been directed by evangelists to the right way and have truly come to Christ, but they have assurance issues because of their lack of legalism. Or their not lack of legalism. Well, how would you clarify that? They don't have assurance issues because of their lack of legalism. Well, in their eyes, their lack of legalism. Oh, They I say see, that I they're see. not legal enough because, you know, there may be, of course, sins that we need to repent right, of. Right, but that would actually be, um, uh, that's actually because of their subtle legalism. Oh, yeah. Even, yes. And... My point is their assurance issues come in because they're, oh, I'm not mosaic enough. Not holy enough. Yeah, I'm not holy enough. Right. Which our holiness is so important and morality, following the moral law, so important. You know, not advocating for sin at all, but our assurance is not rooted in the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Our assurance is rooted in the work of Christ. And that's something that the Puritans talked about so much. Um, how to deal with assurance issues. I, I see this. I, I personally have not dealt with assurance issues much, especially like other men. I'm sure that I have. Um, but you, you start to talk to them, why are you struggling with assurance issues? And you'll hear them say, because I'm not doing this enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that enough. I must not be saved at all. Mm. I must not be a Christian at all. Um, I haven't been. And so what is that? That's them seeing worldly wise men who has crept into the church, as Jude speaks of in Jude 3 and 4, and listened to what he has done and ultimately what that person is doing because of their legalism, their ungospel legalism, is that they're denying the Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. They're denying him by affirming the importance of their works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the wicked gate, the wicked gate, not wicked, the wicked <laughs> gate here, the narrow gate. Man, I thought of how you missed that. I thought of what you said last week, like yeah, the two first, days later. Yeah, the first time I read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which uh, I forget how many years ago it was now, I didn't look up any of these old English words. So I thought wicked was just an old way of saying wicked uh, <laughs> so i'm like this does not this, this is the not gate of make, satan i was like this does not make any sense at all like i can't it was like like uh yeah i got halfway through pillars yeah. progress before i finally figured out i'm just like man what is wrong here <laughs> and then i'm like oh that that means narrow gate yeah. oh, that, that makes much more sense uh, now <laughs> but this is the exact opposite of this is the exact opposite of Mr. Legality and um, Worldly Wise Man in the, the city of morality or the community of morality here. Notice the way, notice what it takes to enter through the narrow gate. Above the gate, it says, knock and it shall be opened unto you. So basically it's, if you, if you want to come through, you can come through. 
mm-hmm. and um, uh, and Christian knocks and knocks, and he's saying, "May I now enter here? Will he within open to sorry me, though I have been an undeserving rebel? Then shall I not fail to sing his lasting praise on high?" So from the get go, um, you know he's knocking and proclaiming to whoever's in there. Hey, please let me in, though I'm not deserving. I'm, and, and and when I come through, I will sing the praises of the King Most High. Like he, he's well aware because of what Evangelist has told him. Th- this is one of the King's gates, and this is the gate on the way to the Celestial City. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, after his dialogue with with Goodwill, Goodwill rightly named as a as a analogy or a, a person symbolizing God's goodwill toward men. Um, um, so after this dialogue of uh, with goodwill about um, uh, Mr. Legality and how uh, relief from the burden isn't found there and that he'll be crushed under there, Christian finally asks, Why truly I do not know what had become of me there had not evangelist happily met me again as I was musing in the midst of my dumps. But it was God's mercy that he came to me again, for else I had never come hither. Um, but now I am come, such a one as I am, more fit indeed for death by that mountain than thus to stand talking with my Lord. But oh, what a favor is, what a favor is this to me that yet I am admitted entrance here. So he's, he's giving... Um, uh, giving thanks, saying, look, I'm deserving of death. I'm deserving of to be crushed by the mountain morality. Um, but Christian's recognizing the Lord's goodwill, and he's saying, what a favor this is. What a grace to me that evangelists came by. What a favor this is that I come in. And goodwill responds, saying, we make no objection objections against any notwithstanding all that they have done before they came here. They are in no wise cast out, and therefore, good Christian, come a little way with me, and I will teach thee about the way that thou must go. The grace that is there at the gate. And so what? how do you enter through the gate? You recognize, I'm not bringing anything of merit. I'm not knocking on this gate saying, I have these works, I have this incentive, you know, this is why you should let me in. Christians, Christians well aware, I'm unrighteous. I'm not deserving. Um, I, I did not earn entrance into this gate. And it's those people, it's, it's that condition of the heart um, that goodwill, that the gate is open un, uh, unto someone. So it's like, uh, again, Christ in the Gospels, him being the person in which the goodwill of God is seen most evidently, being uh, being uh, the only begotten Son of God, truly God, truly man, the very um, embodiment of God. Um, Are you preaching now? Come yeah. on. In, in, Come whom, on. <laughs> in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um, uh, um, and Christ's mission... Uh, was to come and save sinners. Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. Um, so uh, it's, and how does he say, what What did he say that he has come to do? He's like, look, I did, 
I'm a, I'm like a doctor that came to heal the sick. I'm not here to heal the healthy. Um, and I'm not here for the righteous, but the unrighteous. Um, of course, we know that Christ came to take the sins of the whole world. He's here for everyone. But what is he talking about there? He's talking about the nature of the heart. If someone um, is not recognizing that they are sick, they don't recognize that they have the burden of sin um, and like the conviction that Christian is under. They don't recognize that they're unrighteous. They're still holding on to their morality. They're mm-hmm. they're still self righteous. Well, salvation is not salvation is not available to them in a sense. Mm. It's the it's the humble. It's the sick. It's the unrighteous that that need the doctor that need the righteousness of Christ. Yes, and that's that's all that that's all it takes. Um, and, and I'm speaking of it in this way or it's imaged this way in the scripture or not in the scripture in, um, um, in, uh, um, in Pilgrim's progress here, it's imaged this way. It's like, Oh, well, this is what it takes to walk through the gate. And we just got talking about, well, you don't need any works. We're not, we're Christian didn't do any works here. Um, Christian had to be, it was the goodwill of God that, that, brought Christian in through the gate. And he even said once the gate was open to him, he was grabbed in. He was pulled in by goodwill because of the snares and arrows of the devil that try to keep people, get people before crossing in through the narrow gate. Beautiful picture of the goodwill of God toward men. And in the state, how do you enter in through the narrow gate? Well, through humility, through recognizing your your need for the righteousness of Christ. That's how you enter. And what's, what's interesting too is that Christian, the evangelist, and goodwill there, they all had a greater respect for God's law than the worldly wise men, mm. legalists. Or I think the other person was civility. I think that was the other person. Can't remember. But they all had a greater respect the the holiness of the law the demands of perfection from the law than the worldly wise man and i remember when i was a hebrew Israelite, i was an extreme legalist and i can't remember talking with my friends and we would all say to each other man if i could just get rid of this sin i would be perfect yeah i literally remember saying that because i had no idea what the law truly demanded no idea and when the holy spirit started to work on me um I, I just remember seeing just more and more because it was a gradual. Some people have like that immediate um, like salvation experience, that yeah. conversion. I didn't yeah. have that. I had a gradual um, God was just enlightening my mind gradually to more truth as I as I studied scripture. But um, I remember when God started to work on me, I started to see how sinful I was and how far I was from the perfection that the Lord demanded. And it just wrecked me. I'm like, man, I am not holy at all. Yeah. The 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 demand to love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, to love my neighbor as myself. I'm not doing that. I'm really not. You know, I didn't feel a burden at one point in time because I didn't understand the law. Right. You know, uh, I didn't know what the law demanded. And because of that, I had a very low view of the law. And so Christian, who's going through the wicked gate, and he's he's seeking Christ. He understands the law even better. Oh, he's gaining an understanding of the law that's even beyond, even better than the legalist. Yep. 
And and so mm-hmm. Christians sometimes are very worried about, um, you know, the gospel sounding as if it's giving a license to sin. Well, just believe in Christ. You don't have to keep the law. So that kind of sounds to me like, you know, you guys just believe you can do anything. You right. know, you can right. just you can just sin all you want and say you believe in Christ and, and that's fine. And that's how I felt at one point in time. Like this this gospel sounds like like uh, I didn't use the word antinomian back then, but this this gospel almost sounds like you guys are saying you can do whatever you want. But once you say you believe in Christ then you're saved and that's not what it is um, at all. And, um, you know, the 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 Christian that is truly placing their faith in Christ, they respect the law. And not only that, but they understand how the demands of the law must be fulfilled. Right. Way better than the legalist. Amen. Um, and so it's 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 so interesting how that how that works. It's almost like a paradox. Um, and I I can just see that in my own life, man. As I was reading that again, I was like, man, this is this is me. Yeah. This is literally yeah. me. You know? Yeah, Mister Legality was demanding that Christian do everything. Mm-hmm. It's like you you've got you've got to do everything, and then goodwill at the gate says you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's there's nothing uh, there's nothing you could bring to get mm-hmm. you through this gate mm-hmm. right and he points this out again we talked about this a lot last week but we're not repeating ourselves and we're not missing the point because Bunyan comes in again with his skillful way of including subtle and important detail to the story he says on page 77 um after Goodwill tells him what's going to happen to him or what happens to those who take the path of the mountain. Christian says on 77, Why truly, I do not know what had become of me there had not evangelist happily met me again. You just read that quote a few minutes ago. But there's a subtle detail. Christian, as Christian men, we are not being loving to people by letting them believe that they will stand before their creator and talk about how good of people they were to their creator. It's see, we're, we're so worried about being rude to people because pride has so entrenched our society. Mm -hmm. Here's how pride has come into this. You don't want to hurt someone's pride by telling them that they're wrong. You want to respect their pride and you want to maintain your pride by not getting hot and sweaty in the work of evangelism, by not putting yourself out there in an awkward moment. But actually, Christian, when he was redirected by evangelists, remembers the love of evangelists. Man, if it wasn't for him, if he did not happily meet me again as I was musing in the midst of my dumps, we as Christian men come across people who have intellectual questions, as you did, who have burdens that may not even be clothed in intellectual questions just any other way. It is not loving at all that we come across those people and let them figure it out on their own. We must, as Bunyan says, happily meet them on that path and tell them the only path that they must go. I remember um, uh, a video of apparently a Baptist pastor at a big Baptist church in Oklahoma, you can you can look this up, who talked about how arrogant it is that we as Christians think that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Like, how do you call yourself 
first off, a Baptist, second off, a Christian. People say that it is prideful not only to believe that, that there is only one way, and the way is not wide, but it is narrow, but it is also super prideful to tell them that other people are wrong. We come up with pragmatic ways. We write books on how it's best to share this. When we read those books, we see that it's not sharing the truth at all. It's actually just trying to be nice to these people. We're not going to nice people into the kingdom of God. We're going to preach them into the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is simply directing them towards the kingdom of God. We harped on that a lot last week. The story goes on. Goodwill points to the man the correct direction after he opens the gate to him. And he reminds him that this gate is not wide, but that this gate is narrow. He said, Goodwill says to Christian as he directs him to the house of interpreter. Yes, there are many ways. I love this this phrase he's about to use. There's many ways but down, B-U-T-T, down. There are many ways but down upon this. And they are crooked and wide. I'm going to start using that one, but down. But down. <laughs> Sorry to jump in on your train of thought there. Um, but just a quick I'd note. I call it a yeah. Prius of thought, not a train of thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's, let, uh, let me just jump in and give just a quick quote for a little more, for a little context of what you're just about to say. Um, so right after Goodwill's warm invitation saying um, um, they are in no wise, you know, uh, you are in no wise cast out, and therefore, good Christian, come a little way with me, and I will teach thee about the way that thou must go. What is that way? Look before thee. Uh, do you see this narrow way? That is the way you must go. It was cast up by the patriarchs, mm. prophets, Christ and his apostles, and it, and it is as straight as a rule can make it. This is the way you must mm. go. Come on. What is he talking about there? What What is the narrow way? Uh, the narrow way is described as the word of God, the patriarchs, um, patriarchs, prophets of the Old Testament, Christ and apostles of the New Testament. He's talking about the revelation uh, that they've given that we now have um, written in the scriptures. That is the narrow way. That mm-hmm. is the straight way. Um, and uh, our historic creeds, confessions of faith. Um, in the confessions, there's a phrase that talk about the scriptures being our only rule of faith, um, rule for a rule of life, faith, and practice. So, so that's the, that is the narrow way. Man, that's so good. Sorry, sorry to interject. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad yeah. we, we could not have missed that. And I was going to miss that. Um, we, there's no way we could have missed that because that's so important. Um, what we like to do as New Testament Christians, though, is say, yeah, I mean, that way is laid out by Christ and his apostles. When it comes to the patriarchs and prophets, man, I don't really, I don't really care about them. But, man, it's so important that we understand the way that the patriarchs and the prophets, how they, how they directed us yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, preaching through Jude 5. What is Jude five says this? Um, I didn't memorize it. And I, I don't want to give you the uh, CPV, the cold para- paraphrase version. <laughs> but verse five says, "I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe." 
Jesus was involved in the Old Testament. Yeah. Jesus was not on the sidelines, quote unquote, in the Old Testament. So as Christians, we want to remember the patriarchs and the prophets and how they contributed to pointing yeah. in this way, pointing us to Christ. Man, that's, mm-hmm. that's so good. And that that brings us to Ephesians 2, verse 8, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, yeah. Christ Jesus himself being the yeah. cornerstone. Well, and Christ himself saying, uh, all the law and the prophets, they speak of me. Yes. They it's, speak of him. He said, look, this whole this whole thing, it's, it's all about me. Yeah. And he is... He is the narrow gate. He is the narrow way. And the Apostle Paul shows us uh, just a short little glimpse of how it is all about Christ, how the prophets spoke all about Christ. They spoke all about the the thing on the other side of the wicked gate. So not just the path and not just the narrow way, uh, but the thing, the treasure that is opened up to us at the wicked gate. But the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 10, of first Corinthians, uh, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They were all baptized into Moses and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Mm. Amen. So man, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. So So now he talks about the Broadway. Good. (laughs) Yeah, jump, jump back in, Cole. Mm-hmm. Don't go down Broadway. There ain't <laughs> oh, no treasure down Broadway. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, that's a prosperity gospel message title right there. <laughs> ain't no life down Broadway. So, um, so Bunyan sees in this dream. I don't. When he says this, I don't understand if he wants us to look at it as Bunyan himself when he comes out of his dream because this is all a dream. And I don't know if this is like him wanting to say, oh, this is particularly John Bunyan. Doesn't matter, though. Then I saw in my dream that Christian asked him further if he could not help him off with this burden that was upon his back. For as yet he had not got rid thereof, nor could he by any means get it off without help. Could you please just help me get this burden off? Answer is no, but I'm going to direct you to the one who can. He told him, as to thy burden, be content to bear it until thou comest to the place of deliverance. Mm. Man. Man, that's good right there. Come on. That's good right there. Let's let's um let's let's be clear on this. I, as goodwill, having goodwill for this lost sinner, I'm gonna be clear, I cannot take your burden off for you. Yeah. And so many times we're falsely accused of being these people who claim to give salvation to others. But we correct it every time it comes up. I cannot get that burden off for you. I have all the goodwill in the world for you. I love you. As an evangelist, I love you. But I cannot. But what I do is I'm pointing you to the place of deliverance that can take your burden off of you. For there it will fall from thy back of itself. Then Christian began to gird up his loins and to address himself to his journey. So he goes on. Then Christian took leave of his friend and he he again bid him Godspeed. He comes along and he finds himself at the house of interpreter, where he knocked over and over. At last, one came to the door and asked, asked who was there. So Christian comes across a person named interpreter. 
And what interpreter is going to do after he figures out where Christian is headed is he's going to interpret a few different dreams, a few different signs and symbols um, that Christian comes across. Um, what did you guys think about these dreams and the interpretation of them? Well, this is a whole number. Yeah, it's a whole. But I, I will say this before we even get into it. It's kind of like what you were talking about, Cole. I, I think that especially when we're evangelizing people, we're too quick to want to ease their conscience, to want to appease them. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like decisionism. And so, you know, it's it's almost a hate. Well, if you pray this prayer, then, you know, you're saved. And so we're very we're very quick sometimes to convince someone that based upon this particular thing that they did, they're saved. Whereas what, what Bunyan is trying to point out there is that all we can do is point that person to Christ. And so to be honest with you, you shouldn't be trying to ease someone's conscience because you can't. Mm. Right. You shouldn't be right. trying to ease someone's burden because you can't. Right. And so a lot of times God is using that to drive that person to Christ. And so, yeah, let them kind of seep in their own sin and and feeling how unworthy they are in order for them to be driven towards Christ. Yeah. But when you kind of press them into this false sense of an of an eased conscience, what ends up happening is you have a false convert. Mm. Um, and you see that a lot of times in evangelicalism where we're so afraid to offend people. We're so afraid of making people feel bad about themselves and to feel sad that we're convincing people that they're saved, but they're really not. And so, um, man, at that time, I was like, well, I'm really not trying to ease your burden. I'm not trying to make you feel better. You actually should feel pretty bad. But I'm going to point you to the person that can actually ease that burden for yes. you. Yeah. I can't do that. And, man, that, that kind of transforms the way you look at evangelism. And that transforms even the way you deal with someone with assurance, that you're pointing them towards the promises of Christ. Yeah. You're not just going yeah. to them and saying, hey, man, like, stop. You, you know, you don't need to feel bad. Like, just, dude, just you're taking things too seriously. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you don't have to just relax. It's not that serious. You know, maybe you just have a sensitive conscience. Like, you know, just take it easy. But really what you're doing in that moment is you're supposed to be pointing that person towards the promises of Christ and not just telling them to relax. Mm. Because that is a narrow way. I'm pointing you to something outside of Christ that's supposed to make you feel better. That's worldly wise, man. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's it's such a subtle little thing that Bunyan is doing there. And I, I think it's, it's profound. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So important. It's so important. We said this at the first episode. We have to get the these things right. We have to get them for what they are called right. We had to get City of Destruction right. We can't name the City of Destruction into something else to water it down. We have to get Worldly Wise Man right. We have to get the end of his wisdom right. We often have to get this detail right, as you just mentioned. And you know how we go wrong. We go wrong in ways like this. Our method of evangelism is simply to tell the lost sinner, God loves you. God loves you. I just want you to know God loves you. It's something that could start out initially theologically correct, um, which we could talk about the hatred of God towards the sinner, yes. But God so loved the world that he gave his son. And our only only point of evangelism, look, 
I just want you to know God loves you. So if we're that goodwill person who comes across the sinner who has a burden for his sin, which uh, look, God loves you right where you're at for who you are. And that's not very loving, essentially, because we're not giving them the deliverance that they need. We're not pointing to them the destination of deliverance. You say we should be reminding them, should be telling them and confirming to them, you do have a burden on your back, and I'm not able to get it off. There's other ways that we're trying to um, be the, the goodwill who takes the burden off for them by just making the burden seem lighter than what they perceive it to be by renaming sin. We, we rename sin into brokenness. We rename sin into victimhood or faults or mishaps or shortcomings or things like that. When we should be pointing out, yes, God has an eternal hatred for that sin and will crush it. And if you go down the wrong path, no matter how much effort that you give, if you go down the wrong path, you will be demolished, dashed into pieces. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we're not doing them any eternal favors. If we try to make the burden seem lighter, or if we're trying to just get rid of the burden by um, cutting off their pilgrimage, because remember, if we can analyze this statement, we, we've analyzed other statements. If we analyze the statement, God loves you, full stop. What that essentially is, without any gospel message, is just trying to say, look, there's no need for you to continue on. There's no need for you to take another step towards deliverance because God loves you right where you're at. And that's just not loving. And it's not showing them the full picture of God's love because God loved us in such a way that he gave us a propitiation. Mm -hmm. He did not love us in such a way as to make us Um, or give us the right to to continue to live in our sin. Mm -hmm. He did not say, you know what? You have a burden on your back. I'm not going to hold you to account for that burden. He loved us by saying, here's the way that you must go. Come to me, and this burden will be removed from you. We have to get that right. And that's good. Goodwill points to him the way that he should go, as should we. Amen. Basically, the rest of the book is Christian finding himself. Um, well, he's on the way to the Celestial City. We see that he has to find the place of deliverance. Uh, that's still not made completely clear to Christian where that's going to be. He's just told basically, there's two things I want to point out here. He's just basically told the very next place to go, Um, which is oftentimes how the Lord works. Um, He doesn't, you know, he doesn't give you the next, you know, um, 10 stops in the journey. He's just like, hey, you need to be obedient just to the next just to the next, okay, go down this trail, go down this path, just this next thing, the very the, the thing that's in front of you. Uh, be faithful here, and the very next thing that's in front of you, before you're worried about being faithful all the way to the celestial city. 
Um, and the rest of the story is basically, um, you know, he does find himself what Cole was getting into where Goodwill does say, it was like, yes, there's many ways to, to get off of the path. There's, um, the path is straight as an arrow, straight as an arrow, straight as a rule can make it. Christian says, um, uh, are there any turnings and windings by which a stranger can lose his way? Uh, like what Cole was quoting earlier. Yes, there are many ways, but down upon this, and they are crooked and wide. Uh, but you may, uh, but thus thou mayest distinguish. That's some good old English for you right there. But you must distinguish the right from the wrong, the right one only being straight and narrow. So the rest of the story is him um, on the good path or being taken away, like in this case of worldly wise man, finding himself on these crooks and turns and finding his way back to the narrow way. That's the journey. That's the, that's the quest. Are you wanting to get into some of the interpreter? Man, why not? <laughs> I came to party. <laughs> Come on, dude. Hey, let's at go. least at least the first one. Um, yeah, let's get let's let's get as as far as we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't try to do the other ones unless we. I doubt we have time. Um, but we can at least try to do the first one because I'm looking at the first one. It's just a picture of God's minister, and he explains God's minister to him, and it's half a page. So important. Let's talk about who. So, um, yeah. Okay, let's set it up then. So let me let me say this. Will. I'm going to set it up at this. Yeah. Um, hold that thought. Don't let me cut you off here. But um, if I were a tattoo getting man, this would be a good tattoo to get right here. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we need it. Hey, you need to get that video camera that you talked about a few weeks ago because it's so important for Pilgrim's Progress. We just hold up the picture. To show the crowd. That's a cool tattoo to get. Edition. Hey, you got some cool tattoos that you got going on already. Delano, you're talking about it getting a full sleeve. I think Danny should get tattoos if he's going to continue in jujitsu. Um, back tattoo or something. No, no. Yeah, back tattoo, chest tattoo. Chest, yeah. Kind of poking out. You were a rash guard the whole time. <laughs> At least just like the like when your gi opens up, like just have the chest tatted. You know, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> Like Conor McGregor, a tattoo of a gorilla. <laughs> yeah. I I kind of think those tattoos are cool. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Ho- hopefully my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Actually, I know she doesn't. So yeah. She doesn't want you to get a tattoo? Um, I, first off, I don't want to get a tattoo. <laughs> I don't have any conscience issues against it. Yeah. I just don't. Um, just don't want I don't one. like anything well enough to permanently put it on yeah, my body. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't like spending that much money. <laughs> tattoos are well, good tattoos are expensive. Yeah, you can get tattoos a cheap are one, expensive. Though. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, she would not. Next time y'all come over, you would hear about <laughs> this conversation about me getting a tattoo because I don't want one, and she definitely doesn't want one. Yeah. Want me to have one. So, I'm not getting a tattoo for um, undisclosed ministry reasons on the podcast. Um, but Erica, it uh, would love for me to get a full sleeve. Really, really. Yeah. Erica surprises me. Man. A full sleeve. She's actually talked to me about getting it, and I've come close to doing it. Yeah. But for certain undisclosed ministry reasons, right, 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 right. Um, I haven't done it. I've come yeah. very close. 
so close as to making the appointment. That's some that's some big money right there. It's it is a full sleeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, but um, we were going to do it over time. I mean, I know a guy that can do it for free in his garage. That's how scary. That's how scary stories start. I know a guy that could do it for. Her. I wouldn't want to go to him. Uh, uh-uh. No way. I ain't doing it. Uh-uh. I, I see those tattoos all the time of somebody's friend who apparently knows how to do tattoos, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to sound rude, but. That don't look cool. <laughs> it don't look good at all. I could draw that better. You, I could draw that dragon get, better. You go get like an ex, an expensive temporary tat, some airbrush going on. <laughs> airbrush. Yeah. Get some henna. And then people be like, okay, does this dude 13 again? That's what 13-year-olds would go to the beach to get henna tattoos. <laughs> um, spring, which Spring break 2022. <laughs> Man, those dudes who are fighters who got the big tattoos coming up on their neck and stuff. Yeah. Kind of cool. <laughs> For those who are listening, I don't have tattoos. <laughs> you can look down on Delano. Make that clear. I'm not, dude, I really, you know, I think even like up to like last year, I really wanted to get another one. But I'm not, I just think what I want to do, probably not the best decision. What I have now is enough to, when I put on my long sleeve shirt, you can't see anything. So I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. Now, what what happened is you got into financial management. Said, <laughs> well, that you was know, an influence, you said, too. You know what? <laughs> maybe, maybe investing in tattoos isn't the yeah. best thing to do with my the money. The thing is, though, man, I'm the kind of guy that's like, let's wage war against commandments of men. Thou shalt not have a tattoo is a commandment of men. Somebody, see, a lot of people who are against tattoos don't even know about the Leviticus passage that talks about the Leviticus passage and tattoos and stuff. James White, who has a full sleeve, has a solid interpretation of that passage, how it refers to specifically like practice of necromancy and ancestor worship. Um, But see, we independent fundamental Baptists, which we are not independent, but IFB and other deep South Baptists have come up with commandments of men that tell you that you can't get... Um, tattoos only because of what it sometimes is associated with. Mm-hmm. Let's wait to work against some get all tatted up. <laughs> Let's get go get tatted, tatted up. Together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, this would be a cool tattoo if we were to get one. He sees a picture. It looks like John Calvin. Yeah. This looks like, like Whitfield. Honest. Oh, like, not Whitfield. Well, like, not Whitfield. Not, let me, let me Whitfield, see that again. Whitfield didn't have a beard like this. And Whitfield, oh, he has Will, a beard. Will, 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 Whitfield I was, was a little bigger built. Yeah. I was almost thinking of the uh, banner logo. Truth. Yeah. yeah. I thought it's the same Puritan style. He's in a robe. Yeah. Uh, he's got the, the white Puritan collar. He's got the funny hat. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, the reason why whoever authored these or whoever illustrated these pictures I, I it truly wasn't think it, look look at that emblem down at the bottom right is that not the J.R.R. Tolkien emblem no dude, no, dude. no it's hey, not I don't even know what that is it's at least, it's at least debatable Cole, we have regular references to Lord of the Rings on this pro, on this podcast because Cole's like you're reading through them right well I'm about to look at that don't don't just laugh it off and say no. That's at least debatable. Look, look at this. No, it's not debatable. Look at that. Look at that it's and not. compare it with this bottom right emblem. No, it's not. 
You cannot tell me that that's not even close. I'm, I'm not saying that there's not aspects that resemble the J.R.R. Tolkien symbol. It's <laughs> it's the fact that okay, then. it's not that. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's, there's a potential. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll just say this. Whoever came up with this implement, dude, you couldn't come up with a better one. It, it's at least like potential plagiarism of these emblems. No, no, no. They're, All right, I, I cut you getting, off. You're getting ridiculous. Okay. All right. Well, stop me if I'm jumping ahead, but Interpreter shows Christian a picture that is titled God's Minister. Let me read to you what this picture looks like. It's a, it's a, it'll give you a good mental image of what we see. The which when he had done, Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hang up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. It had eyes lifted up to heaven. The best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written upon his lips. The world was behind his back. It stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold did hang over his head. Before we jump to the interpretation of this passage, how do you guys interpret this picture? Wait, hold on a second. Let's go back. Are you saying this picture imaged would be a good tattoo or the description? <laughs> Danny is still not over <laughs> Or the description that you just read would make a good tattoo. Both. But <laughs> you got half your sleeve right there, man. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I got to save room. When we're talking not about me, but about Delano getting the sleeve. <laughs> Why me? <laughs> okay, I hate I hated to go back, but now that you read it, I'm like, that's not what's pictured here. So yeah, which it one are, which it really one are isn't you talking because about? Because the picture does not have a crown of gold hanging over his head. And um, the world's not behind him. Right, and, right, right, right. Bullet points, though. Bullet points, but, though. Grave person looking up to heaven, holding the best of books, mm. the law of truth written on his lips, the world was behind his back. Pleading with men, and a crown of gold did hang over his head. Yeah, I, I interpret who I think the interpreter is. This is his house. I think this is the um, the or a um, pastoral character in 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 the, in Christian's journey in mm-hmm. Pilgrim's Progress. Um, he's interpreting or expositing. He's showing. This is where he's going to get um, some things that are going to help him along his way. These uh, visions, basically what interpreter's doing, he's, okay, um, welcome. And immediately he takes him into this parlor room, this room off to the side of the entrance. And this is what he shows him this painting. And then it it explains the interpretation of the painting. Um, and so he's going to go to these various rooms. He's going to see these various images or visions, and then the interpreter is going to give the explanation. And the explanation is communi- communicating truth um, needed for the journey. So he's interpreting or he's expositing, he's explaining uh, uh, Christian doctrine in a lot of way. I mean, we're not, this isn't going to be in a way like when we were reading through Bavink, 
oh, here's systematic doctrine. Uh, but he's communicating to them <clears throat> Christian truth for sure, biblical truth that it's like, hey, you're going to need to hold this truth or or know this for your journey. That's that's what I think that that's the role the interpreter I think is serving here. Mm. And I, th- I think we have a couple other um, pastor images and people along the way, yeah. but this is undoubtedly one of them in my mind. Okay. What is this guy serving as? Oh, he's in serving, serving as an interpreter of truth so that Christian would have it for his Christian life, his journey, his pilgrimage. Right. That, so the, Big, large context, that's what's going on here. That's what the interpreter's house, that's what the interpreter's house is serving as. Yeah. Yeah, that's a helpful detail. Uh, but this, it's a picture of the minister. It's a picture of, uh, that's kind of where we're getting this explanation. It's a picture of the minister, and we're given that interpretation. This is someone who's, um, uh, whose uh, glory is not the world's. That's the interpretation that interpreter gives. We can give a few quotes from there. He's not looking to the world for his crown of glory, but he's looking up, and his crown of glory is hanging over him. The world's at his back, and both the same way of like he's he's got his back turned toward the world, and that is not his glory. Um, but in the interpretation, we're also given like, oh, he's laboring or ministering to the world. That the the truth on his lips is is for uh, is for the world. Um, so those are aspects of the painting that in the, in the in the picture of the the minister of God. That's aspects of it that that kind of stick out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those are good things. As it's, as the apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's beseeching, he's imploring people to be reconciled to God. Uh, The Christian minister is not just the man who gives certain truths, which is in the the right direction. That takes great and precise effort, careful effort to explain certain truths. But he goes beyond that, and he looks like the man that we see in this image. It's a man who is pleading with the world. So what do we see the Apostle Paul? We see the Apostle Paul in this picture pleading with men, pleading with them. Please take this message. Please believe this message. One thing that Bond... Uh, Bunyan does to get the point across in an uh, efficient way is he shows the picture of Christian who um, took up the book, read the book, and noticed his deserving destruction ahead of him. Yeah. Sometimes we as men, though, will have to come across lost people and plead with them to realize that there's a burden on their back. Right. Right. It won't. It won't always come as easy as. The, the man who was once named Graceless, who is now Christian. But there will be people in the city of destruction who may even be mockers. See, um, mocking and reviling is not the unforgivable sin. 
Therefore, we see those mockers. We see those people who call us names. We see those people who don't like us. They're hard to, to be around. And we plead with them to turn to Christ. See, here's a point where um, even Arminians sometimes become hyper-Calvinists. They'll say, oh, well, no, notice this. They'll, they will say, look, if somebody is ready for it, I'll evangelize them. And they may not even say that, but they wait for the person, the sinner who is just naturally a kind spirit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person is really ready for the gospel. What about the men who are rough around the edges, who are loud and obnoxious and vulgar? They also need Christ. Yeah. And they also can be saved by Christ. And so there anybody will will just wait till somebody is ready or they will look out for the soft-spoken person who is easy to conversate with. And sometimes we can even do this as we're in our um, outreach and our evangelism. Sometimes we give more stock to the conversations. Well, we can only have conversation, evangelistic conversations with people who are mild, and who like to have conversations, who have the certain amount of decency and respect to give you a one-on-one conversation. What about the people who don't give us the conversation opportunity? We're just only able to street preach to them. We must understand again that God is saving those people too, which is why we street preach, which is why we literally, as we see in this image, we beseech men We plead with men. We plead with those who are rugged and vulgar and hard and mockers and revilers. Please be reconciled to Christ, knowing that God is going to use that with whatever kind of people and with whatever opportunity that is not there to the naked eye to save sinners. That's why we call that person the faithful minister. Yeah. See, he's not the man walking around looking for the people who are ready to the naked eye. That's a hyper-Calvinist doctrine. That's why I say that even the Arminian can become a hyper-Calvinist because, oh, well, I'm waiting to see signs of regeneration first before I talk to that person. No, we're not. We're not waiting for any signs from the people who live in the city of destruction. They live in the city of destruction. And if we're taking the the city of Vanity Fair, maybe, as another example, uh, a city that will come up, And a few chapters later, we're not going to get any signs of opportunity, signs of regeneration from those people. But we still beseech them. We still plead with them. Y'all take it away. Yeah, I think I think that's good, man. That's that's so true, and it's you know um, that should be primary element of our preaching. And, you know, I think about that for myself in, in terms of how I preach and how I minister to people. Am I pleading with them to be reconciled to Christ? You know, um, that should be my primary goal. Sometimes we can forget about that and we can preach about, we can get on our little hobby horse and preach about, you know, certain sins that we may find particularly, you know, egregious in, in the culture. But really, the primary message is, um, pleading with people to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. And so, man, that's, that's so true. And, um, man, it's, it's just, it's, it's just so, 
Pilgrim's Progress is just such a rich, I mean, book, man. There's just so much you can pull from it. And so, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, end a few with a few comments of the task of the interpreter or the task of the the man being pictured, the the servant of the Lord being pictured here. Interpreter says the man whose picture this is is one of a thousand. Uh, so they're not they're not a dime a dozen. They're one of a thousand. He can beget children, travail and birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. This is kind of weird because he's talking about a man. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't think. Um, uh, uh, LGBT ideology was around <laughs> when, when Bunyan was writing this, or he may have chosen to to do something a little different. Well, here. he's just quoting the <laughs> Apostle Paul from Galatians. Oh, there you go. When I, what does it say? Um, I wanted to bear you forth as um, holy to God. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a reference I didn't catch. Yeah. See if I get um, here, he gives us. My computer just died. I'll give you the um, image. Go ahead, Danny. Don't let me cut you off. Uh, But it shows that, okay, what is, um, what, since I'm thinking this is a pastoral picture, um, so it's basically. Galatians 4.19 and 1 Corinthians 4.15. So it's basically showing, look, um, this servant of God begets children in a way that um, it's, children of God are produced out of his ministry, not that he does it, like everything that you just said about about uh, um, evangelistic or gospel ministry that any Christian should, can, and should have. Uh, but they travail in birth with children, so they, um, they, they labor, travail with these children, and nurse them himself when they are born. So this is, this is not just showing like, uh, immediate gospel evangelistic message, but a continual travailing and the nursing. Uh, so there's a there's a more long term relationship. I think exam- uh, exampled here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then following up on that, interpreter says, "Now said the interpreter, I have showed thee this picture first, because the man whose picture this is is the only man whom the Lord of the place." Um, uh, whither thou art going has authorized to be your guide in all difficult places you may meet with in the way. Wherefore, take good heed to what I have showed thee and bear well in my mind what you have seen, lest in thy journey uh, thou meet with some that pretend to lead the right, but their way goes down to death. So he's saying this is the right person to follow this is the right um this is the right voice to hear along your way you're going to meet with a lot of others who are saying that this is the way but this is the guy this is a picture of the guy this is the characteristics of the man of the servant of god in which whose voice you should follow follow and i think that's a uh and their way goes down to death the the wrong voices the wrong wisdom their way goes down to death uh that might be a reference even to um, uh, something like Psalm 1 um, uh, talking about the seed of scoffers that that way leads to destruction or leads to death 
That's what a pastor is. What a, a, qual- gu- a guide pointing to the Lord of, uh, to the God of the heavens uh, for pilgrims along the way. Man. So much good stuff there. I know that we need to get off soon. Delano's about to take the trip to Little Rock to go to work. Yeah. You're at your work location. I need to go to Greenbrier to work. Um, one last thing with a few minutes that we have. We have back to the jujitsu stuff. Some <laughs> some good UFC fights coming up. Um, one of my favorite fighters now, Charles Oliveira, is fighting Islam Makachev or something Makachev. like that. You know who that is, right? Uh, yeah, he's part of uh, um, he's part of the Goats crew. Part of, part of Khabib Circle. Yeah, Khabib. Nemagamenov. You can you can watch the behind the scenes. Which oh, uh, Khabib will be his corner. Khabib yeah. will be cornering him. Yeah. Talk about a coach. Um, you can watch the behind the scenes footage of the full week of the Khabib and Connor fight. Yeah. And yeah. you see Khabib, which they're so fun, man. Um, Khabib had Islam in a circle as just a young pup at that time who yeah. was an up and comer. Just a few years later, he's sitting at 22 and 1, going to fight Charles Oliveira. I think Oliveira's got that one, but um, maybe a good, good, good round, good UFC match to, to watch together. Just some good manly art. We'll have to find out how much that pay per view is going to be. <laughs> They're typically 80 bucks. What? Yeah. But if we have a few guys who will come together, cash app. Yeah. I mean, up down. We can do up that. Uh, another thing I want to. Another thing I want to watch, and this this will be part part confession. If someone wants to convict me on this, you can. There's a there's a huge, um, no one really cares about this, but there's a huge jujitsu match coming up too. It's a uh, Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena, at who's number one. Uh, it's going to be the biggest who's number one ever. Uh, the it's like who's number one is like UFC, but only jujitsu. So. Um, a stacked card if you're a jiu-jitsu fan. The problem is, the only way to watch it is on Flow Grappling, um, which is like a $300, it's like two or $300 per year subscription. I don't know who is buying this thing, but I've got a hack. Um, I, I've got a hack. <laughs> and uh, what you do is on your... At least it at least works on the Roku app. I don't know about Apple TV or anything else, but if you pull up the event, uh, Flow Grappling, because this isn't a famous podcast, I'm happy to disclose this. But but you can watch wa- this blow up right before this episode. Yeah. No, we're we're not gonna blow up. <laughs> no, on Flow on the Flow Grappling app, they give like a little preview of what's going on, and it's the live event. But it cuts out every five minutes and saying, "Hey, you have to be a subscriber to watch it." But all you do is pop out of pop out of the the live event and pop right back in. You get another five minutes. So it's a bug, really. Yeah, it's a it's a bug. So you'll do that for the entire match. I'll just. do that for the entire <laughs> night. I'll do that the entire night. I'll just be just have the remote in my hand. You know, it's just two buttons and you're right back in. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have to spend. It's like a nuts subscription, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's why I don't even feel bad about it. That's how you found out about that Mikey Musamini guy. I, I watched that, those fights this way. Have you heard of his diet? 
Yeah, pizza and pasta every night. One. He just eats one meal a night, but eats like seven thousand calories once a, one one meal a day. Seven thousand calories. It's only pizza and pasta every end of the day. <laughs> I want to see his labs though, his blood labs. Yeah, those are probably yeah. awful. Yeah, it, there's but no way he's huge go UFC like one of the biggest UFCs ever, and then biggest jujitsu ever night ever coming up. Yeah. 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 We can't overlook October 22nd. Man, there's that's such a stacked card. Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Peter Yan. Man, that's going to be crazy. Sugar Sean talked he's, his way he's into that a big, fight. He's getting a big shot. He talked his way into that fight. Well, the reason he's getting that fight is because, um, what's the, what's even the champion? Al Jermaine Sterling? No. Well, no, no, no. Peter Yan right now. No, 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 no. Al Jermaine beat him. That's right. Yeah, yeah Aljo may beat him. Aljo, Aljo is also fighting that night. Really? Yes. Defending so many, so many people so against many TJ fights. Dillashaw. But here's the thing: they say, according to, go back and watch. Uh, I'll say this and we can close. Go back <laughs> and watch Sugar Sean's stuff in his last fight. Um, it was a no contest because the guy said he got poked in the eye. Right. He didn't get poked in the eye. He got punched in the eye, <laughs> which would be a TKO for Sugar Sean. Um, the uh, Sugar Sean's getting the match, though, because he's not the champion, but that's the only person most people know in that weight class. Yeah. Um, you know, why, you know, that's... Name another Bantamweight. I mean, the only guys I know are Sugar Sean, Sterling, and Peter Yawn. That's because it. Because it's the champion, yeah. top contender, yeah. and the guy everyone's actually excited about. Yeah. Which the Sterling Peter Young fight, I watched that one too. It wasn't even really exciting. Yeah. Boring guys. Yeah, they just, won he won. Algermain can have some exciting moments, but it was just a boring fight. Um yeah. I mean it wasn't that exciting. Algermain won by decision. That's it. I'm and also it could have gone it could have gone either way. I think Dana White thought I should have gone to Peter Yon. Yeah. Um, and I'm still on a secret mission to get Delano into football. I got to say this on air. Got to capture it for the rest of the people. He came over for Arkansas versus Ole Miss. Instant classic. At the very end, at the very end, when it was getting really exciting, Delano stood up. He said, I got to stand up for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting into it, man. I, like, I got to stand up for this. I was really getting into it. It's me, Delano, and Daniel all standing up watching the game. Yeah. Was, yeah. Is Daniel, is he a football guy? Not at all. Not at all? Not He's at like all. me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'm probably the same. I can get into a game, but I'm not following Well, you got to get into it. Well, I do anymore. like MMA, though. Like, I, I've been getting kind of into it, and I watch it at home for a little bit, and Shayla got kind of weirded out. She's like, how do you watch that? So, you know, but I would I would definitely be into watching that. You know, I would probably even pay for it. Yeah. Hey, do you, do you want to go to a, uh, a, a jiu-jitsu tournament in Little Rock? <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, get you, I'll get you the info. Yeah. All right, then. CD, D2, D-roll, coming at you recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it. <laughs>